Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is a prolific author, working performer, and one of the minds behind Monday Night Magic and an all-around incredible human. Jamie Ian Swiss is my guest. Heads up, this is going to be a multi-part episode because we're going to talk about his work with Johnny Thompson, Shattering Illusions, and a lot more. Nick Lacapa stops by the show to discuss the feature part of the week from Nicholas Lawrence. But before all of that, the show kicks off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians talk about their favorite tricks, and we put them on a clock to give it a sense of gravitas. This week, David Jonathan joins me for the top five under five david jonathan thanks so much for joining me here on the top five under five give me your top five tricks in uh no particular order but just for the sake of order let's start off with number five all right so uh i don't it's it's a tough question first of all but i don't want to be the guy just rattling off all my own stuff (laughs) a lot of the tricks that i perform are my own material yeah so i really just wanted to sort of look at this in uh a different light so i actually set up into categories so we'll start with like a setup card trick right so you have a predetermined stack or whatever Mm -hmm. for a trick like that harmony by louis laval uh, also known as residence when he re-released that oh i'm not that one art no i'm not what happens Oh my god, it's so good. This was, I think it was on Lewis's first release. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have the spectator take the deck, they shuffle it twice, mm-hmm. you then have them name any suit, you spread the pack for one second, close it up, and you can recite the order of that suit in, in order in the pack as they deal through. That's so amazing. it's just an incredible display of mind reading or memory skill. I really like those sort of impossible memory tricks because they because it is something that feels like you could be doing it for real, and that just yes. hits different with lay people. That's a great way to kick this off. Let's move on to number four. Number four, again, no particular order. This would be like an impromptu style card trick, you know, from any shuffle deck in use. I gotta throw on my own in here. This would be threesome by me. <laughs> so great trick, threesome. It, oh, thank you. So if you're not familiar with it, threesome is kind of a card any number ish. So basically, any card is selected, returned to the pack, genuinely shuffled. They choose any three cards. They add up the values of those three cards, count down, and their selection is there. Now, the cool thing about this is. And the, the selection and the three cards they choose are all free choices, and there's no real sleight of hand. There's one move, but it's pretty easy. The method is even cooler than the effect itself, and the effect's pretty strong, in my opinion. You know, it is. It it does sort of hit that sweet spot where it's an entertaining card at number, uh, but also the method is real brain candy for magicians, and that's just usually <laughs> not the case. Like usually, it's a cool method, but like disappointing trick or amazing trick, but like disappointing method. Because the best stuff we always say is the simplest. I love the intersection of of cool and pleasing method w- with threesome. It's it's really a great trick, and oh, I, I, no wonder you did so well with it. Let's move on to number number uh, that was number uh, four, and now we're on to number three. Number three, so this is kind of like a utility item, and for me, I have to go with The Extractor by Peter Nardi. Ooh. When this thing first came out, my God. <laughs> I mean, so if you're not familiar, a card is signed, the deck is put back in the box, they place the card themselves anywhere in the deck in the box, you close it up, you place it in your pocket, and you have instant access to their signed card that was just returned in the middle of the deck in the box. I mean, it's just impossible to reconstruct how that works and then obviously from there there's a myriad effects you can do with you know card to a possible location and so on so uh i think that really shook the industry when that thing came out just because 
Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, it's one of those things where a, a good utility device is kind of hard to come by. It's pretty easy to invent a very specific gimmick for a very specific uh, uh, use case, but creating a utility device that can then open up a wide variety of other effects is that just doesn't happen very often. An extractor was a very cool one. Absolutely. All right. Number two. Number two. So this is kind of like anytime, anywhere. Yeah, so right. for me, it's uh, Timesmith or the SB watch from Banky Smith, uh, kind of similar to the Turner watch if mm -hmm. people have that version of it. But uh, again, I always have my phone on me. I always have my watch on me. So this is kind of anytime, anywhere. But basically, I mean, the core effect is I can take off my watch, set it to any time, place it down. They name any time of day. My watch is that's what it's set to when they see it. It's honestly one of the strongest effects that I can do. Mm -hmm. And to have that just on me 24-7 at a moment's notice, you rarely get that combination of the strongest thing I can do is also the thing that I have on me all the time, just even when I go out not performing magic. You know, these there is an increasing array of watches that you can sort of secretly set the t any time you want. And I mean, I remember I had Time Machine way back in the day that had that weird Mercury switch and you had to like lean it over to the side. It was really hard <laughs> to get it. And the new, I mean, it really is. It's a very easy and direct effect for audiences to wrap their brain around. They set a time, you set it. There's no funny moves. It's really good. And I understand why you're using Banky Smiths because it's a very good product. Uh, let's move. Let's move on to number one. All right, number one, again, no particular order here, but this is just something that's always in my wallet. I love wallet effects, uh, and I had to go with Powerball 60 from Sanders and Bill Abbott. Oh, uh, of course. It's, it's, it's an amazing effect. Classic. Uh, so, I mean, it makes sense to have scratch-off lottery tickets in your wallet. Uh, so basically, if you don't know the effect, they think of any number, they go through the, the, uh, the tickets, and you're able to tell them the number that they're thinking of in a very organic, clean way. Uh, and I just love taking a math principle like that and just hiding it in something organic. It, it, it is a really wonderfully uh, organic way to do sort of the calculator cards effect, which we all sort of had in a magic kit when we were a kid, but we're like, th there was no presentation for it. It was just fascinating. Yes. And this is a great way to do that. Well, David, Jonathan, those are five fantastic tricks. Thanks so much for joining us for the top five under five. Thanks to David Jonathan for joining me on the show. Now, on to the main event. Jamie Ian Swiss was the book reviewer for Genie Magazine, where he published deep and insightful examinations of the literature of the day. He's also written provocative and fascinating magic books and contributed extensively to the art of magic through live performance, consulting on television shows, and writing for magic books and magic publications and other magicians. I had an expansive conversation with Jamie over Zoom regarding his involvement in the Johnny Thompson books, becoming the book reviewer at Genie, and so much more. And now you get to join our conversation. Jamie Ian Swiss, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you because uh, I am a big fan of your writing, uh, but I, I got to meet thanks. you briefly at Magi Fest, uh, and I wanted to talk to you more about uh, the Johnny Thompson books and uh -huh. what it was like putting those together, because I know that you're a prolific writer, but putting together somebody else's material, particularly somebody you respect that much, must be an especially daunting task. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> in the in the larger subject of writing other people's material, I think the Johnny Thompson book is a bad example. In in, in the sense, only in the sense, um, I don't know that there's much to be learned from it or extracted from it, because it was a unique project, and my relationship with John was unique, mm. and. Uh, 
John had asked me many times to do the book and I had declined many times. Uh, first of all, because I don't like writing other people's material. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I hate describing card tricks. And um, also because perhaps equally or more so mm -hmm. because it was an absolutely daunting and terrifying idea that I would be responsible. I would accept responsibility for recording the body of work of this, the man who was considered in his era, in his own lifetime to be the greatest living all around magician in America. And if not the world, and so I didn't want, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, don't want to. Uh, and, you know, John and Pam were kind of like, were not kind of like, they were second family to me. Mm -hmm. And I adored them. And um, I didn't want to do it. And then a particular window came along in which John said, you know, I have, uh, I got a few months off. I'm not traveling this summer. If you have time, why don't you come out to the house and we could at least start the book. Mm -hmm. And if it takes, you know, if we spread it out over two, three, four years, it's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> and uh, so that's what happened. I went out and uh, I stayed at the house for a month. I lived at the house for a month. Oh, wow. And that was awesome. You know, it was fantastic. I mean because I did totally adore them. And, uh, um, and every day we worked on the book every day and we talked about the book and then I would go and write. And then, uh, you know, as much of a late night guy as he was, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it would, I would be up later writing or sometimes I'd write earlier in the day or whatever. And then I'd bring a file to him. I'd mm -hmm. send him a file and say, here, read this, tell me what you think. So, because what we did was we wrote the really, I wrote the really fun stuff then, mm -hmm. uh, the stuff I really wanted to write and the stuff I also felt I needed to be around him for mm -hmm. ideally, which was not the technical things. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to write the theory stuff. I wanted to write the big root banner routines, a mm hundred dollar -hmm. prediction, uh, the Dove chapter, the mm -hmm. um, uh, the Dove theory chapter, building an act, building an act, uh, the um, the egg bag. These were the things that John had taught me years before. I did not know I was in training to write this book for twenty years or whatever it was. That that during which John had taught me these routines, and I had gone out and done them. And the reason I was able to write these detailed descriptions of, of these impossible things like the egg bag and the $100 prediction is because I had done them countless times mm -hmm. in front of audiences and had everything that can go wrong, go wrong. Uh, so those were the things I wrote. And as soon as I wrote the $100 prediction, I knew it would be the closing piece of the book. The, the book changed order in many ways mm -hmm. over the years. David, when David Ben eventually came in years later, mm -hmm. he uh, reorganized much of the book. But I knew that the book would close with once I wrote it, not before I wrote it, but once I wrote that routine, uh, I knew it would, con it and the trade show act that led up to it 
would close the book because it represented this incredible breadth mm-hmm. of John's work of trade shows and close up and stage and psychology and mentalism and comedy. You know, it's just everything and brilliant thinking, brilliant, brilliant thinking. So um, we did that. But then, you know, it dragged on for years for various reasons mm-hmm. and, and his life and my life and things getting in the way and blah, blah, blah. It dragged on for, thir- it took 13 years to actually do the book. Um, and yeah, I hated writing those damn card tricks, hated it. <laughs> and, um, and John was a stickler for detail. Yes. The edits, I have files back and forth between John and I where he's saying, well, James, uh, he used to call me that all the time. He'd say, well, James, you know, why do you have me put my finger here? That's not actually what way I do. It. You know, or he'd say, or then we'd fight because he'd say, why are you putting this line in here? I never said that in my life. You, you, this is not a book about your, you know, your. You might say that, and he'd get pissed, and I'd say, John. I have not made up a single line. I found that on some video in my research, and you said it. And if you don't want it in the book, that's okay. But I'm not making it up. And then I'd show him the video because he did all these videos and all these performances. And he'd go, oh, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I must have been high or whatever. You know, it's like, so he was constantly arguing with me. So anyway, so it was all this detail that that he went through when he could have written the book himself he absolutely was a very good writer it was just a question of i was there to really make it happen and um and to articulate some things that uh i don't know i was able to i think put in a particular way there are a few elements in the book of which i am the most proud because john was the most pleased Mm -hmm. with them and the bird theory chapter and constructing a bird act is a is one of my favorite things in the book because I never yanked a bird in front of an audience in my life. Yeah. But for years and years, when John and I first became friends, I went and saw the act over and over again in Vegas, Atlantic City, and every time I'd see it, I'd ask him more questions about it. I was just mm-hmm. interested in how not only how, not so much how it worked mechanically, somewhat, mm-hmm. but particularly how it was structured and the psychology of it and all of this. And the, and the act was so complex and layered that the more mm-hmm. you watched it, the more you discovered. Yeah. Uh, like watching a good movie over and over again. You go, wow, I never, you know, you watch The Third Man for the tenth time and you go, oh, I never noticed that thing in that shot there. Oh, I see that foreshadow and such and such. So... I never. I was doing that for my own education as mm-hmm. a conjurer, but um, and as his uh, protege. But I didn't know I was, you know, training to write mm-hmm. that thing. So when I wrote that chapter, he didn't dictate that chapter to me. He didn't organize mm-hmm. that chapter. He didn't say a damn thing. I said, I want to write. I want to have a chapter about how to construct a bird act. He went great. Love it. Wow. Go ahead. I wrote it from scratch. I absolutely wrote it from scratch. Every word of that chapter is mine. And then I gave it to him. And he was, frankly, ecstatic about it. And he had, he said, could we add this or maybe a mention of this or whatever. Like, that was it. That Mm -hmm. was the only, there was nothing else. There were no corrections to be made or anything like that. That, I wrote that chapter. But... But it's not my thinking. It's yeah. it's me channeling everything I had learned from him in all these years that I didn't know 
I was preparing. So the point being, yes, it was a weighty thing, mm -hmm. and I never want to do it again. I never want to write anybody else's material again. Not, I don't know how you know Stephen Mitch does it, mm -hmm. or or, uh, or Richard Kaufman. I don't know how these guys spend their careers writing dozens of magic books of other people's material. I would mm -hmm. be in a real straitjacket, an inescapable straitjacket. I yeah. I could never. I could never do it. And I'm in the midst of writing, I uh, imagine you're aware of Richard Kaufman's Greater Magic Project. Yes. And he's he's writing the bulk of the book, but he's brought on about 15 people to edit and write particular chapters. And I am writing the Memorized Deck section. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to write other people's card tricks. And yeah. it's the worst, you know, I, I want to write it. <laughs> I want to write the history. I want to write the theory. I yeah. have things to say about that subject, uh, which is why he asked me. But um, I don't. I hate writing these cards. I hate it. Yeah. And the only thing that's saving me is in for much of it. I'm actually using uh, the original published descriptions mm -hmm. from contributors because I have a who's who of contributors. Yeah. You, if you could name someone you think is a is a uh, significant name in the memorized deck field. I, I have a, I have a trick from from them in the in the book, and um, so I have to edit and make that stuff fit. And I very often I have to shorten the descriptions for mm -hmm. my purposes are different than the original. But um, at least I have that helping me. <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. I'm sort of laughing internally as as I as I continue along with this podcast. I keep meeting people who are also working on the Greater Magic. Yeah, book. well, there's it's, about fifteen. <laughs> I think. It's this like yeah. weird little peek inside that book. I can't wait to finally yeah. wrangle Richard. Yeah, but, well, he's finally he did publicize. He did make it public a few yes. months ago. I think the, yes. the list. It was mm -hmm. secret for uh, a couple of years, but mm -hmm. um, he has now publicized uh, the contributing editors. You know. Knowing your relationship with Johnny and hearing the way you were sort of almost unknowingly trained, I'm not sure if that's the best yes. way to put it. but No, it is, no it's absolutely yeah. unknowingly. Yeah. So I do the $100 bill prediction in my act, and I've done it hun ah, hundreds really. of times, and I, I, I maintain uh, on my phone when I'm traveling the... Uh, photos of those pages because I find myself going back to that text before did you learn it did you learn it from the Thompson I, book you, you I began did. with the trick from the Thompson book I did and so you're my worst nightmare sorry to interrupt but this week the show was brought to you by Neo from Nicholas Lawrence Nick Lacapo joined me via zoom to discuss this moving ink miracle Nick it feels like every couple of weeks we're talking about something cool from Nicholas Lawrence and this week we're talking about Neo Looks like CGI. This it did, one, it does. This one is like a crazy visual trick. You draw four X's on the back of a signed card. If you want it to be, you can do it signed card or um, any card. And you so you draw the four X's on the on the corners, like in the far corners, and they start to move visually with like no fingers moving on the back of the card or no strings or magnets or nothing the ink just starts to jump around the card and they you can move them one at a time to a corner or you can move them instantly to back to the four corners as well um, and then just hand it out as a souvenir you can hand it out and the x's are still on the back of the card and it's their sign card it's 
super visual. It's a, it's a great trick. It's really good for your social media. So Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube reels, it's, it's perfect for that type of thing. And I think the other thing to emphasize here is there's no electronics and there's no like rubber bands or strings that you're pulling. All five of your fingers, your four fingers and your thumb are in view the entire time. It just kind of works through gravity. Yeah, which you can is, do it in the palm of your hand. Yeah. Um, you can just like lay it in your hand. Yeah, uh, there is a, a method to do this and then switch the gimmick out so that you can hand it out in real life if you want to do it. The lighting conditions can be a little finicky in real life, which is why this is better for social media. But still, it's a really cool, super visual trick that is really easy to just drop into your repertoire, especially for social media, because it just kind of works. Yeah, just these things melt away and then just melt into view in different places on the card. And it works with... Gravity? Yes, yeah, gravity. <laughs> so uh, so it, it's cool. It's yeah. cool. Uh, there's no 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 method to see here. So take a look at Neo. By Nicholas Lawrence. Check it out. That was Neo by Nicholas Lawrence, available from penguinmagic.com. As always, the incredible listeners to this show receive 25% off the feature part of the week when they enter that special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is MATRIX. That's Matrix, M-A-T-R-I-X. That code is only good for Neo and only good until the next episode of the show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Jamie Ian Swiss. Did you learn it, did you learn it from the Thompson I, book? You, you I did. You began with a trick from the Thompson book? I did. And So you're my worst nightmare. Um, oh, because <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm so pleased and terrified to hear that. You're my worst nightmare because, uh, and you know, my friend Eric Mead, my dear friend Eric Mead is mm-hmm. writing the uh, much anticipated, long awaited um, Tim Conover book. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have compared many notes over the years. We're very close friends. We, I was a good friend of Conover's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we have compared notes in some ways about the, the two books, these both of us writing these legacy books. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's, and, and Eric, to his uh, great credit, uh, uh, he put what he didn't already have in his repertoire because mm-hmm. he and Tim were close and Tim had given him some of that material long ago. Uh, what he didn't already have in his repertoire, he put in his repertoire, mm-hmm. um, so that he could go out and do it in front of audiences and actually write it from that vantage. And he yeah. really had, unlike, he had to learn a lot of material to do that. And then, uh, but of course, in that process, he has all that material to himself. Yeah. And so the the bad part, the downside, the heartbreaker, mm-hmm. is that you're putting this stuff out there, and um, you know, there's this horrible line of Percy Diaconis's in the his um, uh, somewhat self-serving introduction to the um, in the original edition of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, where when the issue of publishing revelation came to the finally came to the fore mm-hmm. percy was reco- was uh, said uh was quoted as having said you're you're going to give uh the animals tools <laughs> yeah and there's nothing ad- there's nothing admirable about that um particular uh point of view mm-hmm. although i think it was i think it was genuine yeah um but nevertheless, there there is an aspect. There is there is a kind of aspect where you're you're taking these jewels that you mm-hmm. value so much and you have treated so gently and gingerly, and then you're tossing them out there and you have no control over what's going to happen. And you know, 
you know, shortly after the book came out, I had a good, I had a, a good friend and a mm-hmm. very well-known magician text me and mm-hmm. say, Hey, I'm working on the wallets. And I say, yeah. you know, I text it back. And I say, I hate you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, cause that's not the sentence. Actually, there's nothing about that sentence that makes me happy Yeah, because I was doing that trick for 20 years, you know, and almost nobody else was doing it. Um, there was, there was a commercial version that had been released mm-hmm. through Ken Brook and then bought out by Supreme in the States and Ace Place in England, but it was a vastly inferior, it's not the real thing. Yeah. Like, it's totally not the real thing. It doesn't have any of the real work. Uh, it doesn't even have the real work in the props, much less in the scripting and the psychology and everything. No, I, I, so, I, mean, I bought the wallets from Paul and I am, I'm putting... Oh, you have that set. That's I'm, a good, that set's okay, but they did not consult me on it. And, um, obviously Paul knew yeah. John very, very well. Um, and there's, uh, I, I don't, uh, there, that's, that's okay. It's not yeah. perfect. You know, it's, I guess where, where I was sort of headed with this though. I don't, I don't, I don't like the, uh, I don't like the, uh, the Himber in that, in that. I don't like the sizing of it. I, I think, um, I would, I would tend to agree with you and, but I think what is fascinating is some of the details in it regarding, the style of Himber, because when I went to go work on it, Johnny... Because of the flap. Because of yes, the flap. Yes, and that is something that, when I, when we talk about the details that Johnny Thompson applied to stuff, that is one of those details that early on I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, because when you're in that moment, no. I don't want to go into too much detail here, but, it, yep. but when you just let him buy the book. But yes. if you're... But, you know, in that wonderful moment, mm-hmm. you get to be casual... Because you can toss that wallet to the table, yeah, without being without being prissy about it, without locking it up, mm-hmm. without doing anything. You can toss that thing to the table, and you're safe about the, in yeah. the one in a hundred, yeah, that that guy decides to snatch that wallet. Now they they almost never do, no, but I mean they effectively never do. I think ah, maybe I had it happen once, but. You're, you can be casual because when that guy picks up that wallet at that moment, he can't get yeah. to yes. the bad place. And you have time to take it from him as if to show him and resolve the issue. So that's a, one of these yeah. exquisite, you know, Vernon's one of, Vernon loved epigrams. And yeah. one of his favorites was, uh, you know, details make for perfection and perfection is no mere detail. And that's, mm-hmm one of countless perfect examples. But the other thing also, of course, is that all the pages and pages and pages yeah. of the outs yes. that are in there. That's the genius of it. Going That's th- the genius. The moment yeah. the moment when he says, do you want to change your mind? If the guy is hit mm-hmm. on a target card, and that's what he has in his hand. Yeah. And now you can still, you still want to say, do you want that card or do you want this car yeah it's which you can flash to the audience he can't see it the audience can see it and he gets an open choice between these two cards <laughs> this kills magicians okay this kills yeah. magicians it is i did this i did this at stuff. monday night magic yeah. years ago i did this at monday night magic you would not believe mm-hmm. how many you know the guys working the show thought they knew something sitting in the back of the house you know <laughs> And they're all coming up to me later on, and he, hey, did what? What, what <laughs> was that? You know. Well, I ain't talking. I, I ain't talking. 
I uh, I want to shift the topic a little bit because I know I could talk sure. to you about, about uh, uh, Johnny Thompson for for days. But absolutely I, glad and glad to do so yeah. any any yeah. any time, day or night. But I I'm very excited to talk to you about Shattering Illusions, which is one of these magic books that I, that thrilled me to read, and I'm. I'm, I think I'm in the unfortunate position that I didn't get to read it when it was originally published in Genie, huh? and then again, I just got everything, By all of your man. thoughts at once. And uh, oh, so you didn't read it until the Vanishing Ink? Uh, no, print. no, I didn't. I wasn't able to get my hands on it, and so I was able to get gotcha. it after it had gone through Hermetic and after it had gone through with right. your additional right. updates. And yeah, it's it's well, there's no updates. The only updates are in the first ah. I understand. Hermetic yes. edition. Mm-hmm. There were no changes from the Hermetic edi- first edition to the uh, Vanishing Ink reprints. They are gotcha. identical. Those updates, though, are... It's fascinating to watch someone's thought processes evolve, and you don't... You almost never get to see that in a magic book, which is Yeah, so I mean, cool. I think they're pretty small. I tried to keep them... I haven't thought about them in a long time, but I tried to keep them pretty minimalistic. I really... Resent. I have a really bad attitude mm-hmm. towards writers who um, erase their footprints in the sand uh, when they're redoing, rebuilding their uh, sand castles. Mm-hmm. And I really, really hate that. Yeah. Uh, and I've written about that um, in my genie reviews, uh, my entire genie review archive of 18 years of genie. Reviews of uh, 450 reviews or so, and I think it's what is it? It's half a million words or something. I don't know. Andy, Andy <laughs> uh, counted them, um, and uh, that entire archive is up for free use and completely searchable mm-hmm. at Vanishing Inc. It's yeah. really an enormous resource, um, infinitely searchable. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I love getting comments from people who have used it for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And um, I talk in there in a couple of particular reviews about mm-hmm. reprinted journals and those kinds of things where writers have uh, done all this uh, reworking and not left us any way to figure out what the hell they were doing. So in the case of mm-hmm. man, of, of, of uh, Shattering Illusions, mm-hmm. even though I am a vastly improved writer mm-hmm. uh, because those were my first uh, forays into essay writing. Um, all I did was uh, we corrected some grammar and mm-hmm. then I added these very brief half page kind of updates about, you know, current state of affairs mm-hmm. or something like that. And I yeah. didn't do much. I didn't do much. They were, believe me, I was tempted yeah. to do more. I was. It was. It was an active, um, act of restraint <coughs> to not do more. But that mm-hmm. was the editorial decision that I made, and that um, Stephen Minch, you know, supported me. In. It's just such an interesting way of looking at it, particularly in the 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 essay regarding um, the uh, the way we learn magic. Where it's it's if and if I'm remembering this correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong. No, uh, you you almost soften a little bit on video, uh, whereas you're very hard on it in the original essay. But in this sort of update, you go, you know, there actually are good things uh, that come from 
uh, uh, learning via video. Um, Maybe that was the the, the juncture at which, because when I wrote the, mm -hmm. so the original essays were written between mid-93 and mid-94, and that's a long time ago uh, in some ways. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, probably... My guess, mm-hmm. not that I remember, because believe when you've written as yeah. much as I have, I can yeah. never remember. Um, I suspect that little add-on maybe, maybe uh, focused my thoughts a little bit that video can be helpful in the sense of timing and, mm-hmm. and slights. Yeah, but that it's still a, it remains a very problematic way of learning magic on its own because mm-hmm. if you're watching routines, then all the little spaces in the book that are there for you to fill in mm-hmm. are gone and they're filled in by someone else whom you cannot help, but to some degree or other end up imitating. Yeah. It's uh, the whole book that is, still stands as far as I'm concerned. I, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that there's a lot of, I even look at my early, my sort of early videos of me where I can see where I'm imitating and I'm not performing or, or right. iterating. The book the, is it's fascinating. You mentioned that this is some of your first forays into essay writing because th- there is some controversial stuff, and and not even yeah. not even controversial. I mean, like it's it, you challenge a lot of sort of preconceived notions well, the that the title, magic community has. When yeah. I started the series, the only thing I had in my head, I really didn't know anything about the content. Yeah. The only thing I had was the title of the first piece. That's going to do it for this week, kids. That's right. It's a two-part episode. I'm super excited to get into the second episode, as are my dogs, Bellatrix and Rocco, which you can no doubt hear playing behind me. Thanks so much to Jamie Ian Swiss for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion to this conversation. Thanks to all of the Penguin fans for their support at Magi Fest. I'm looking forward to seeing all of the European Penguin fans at Blackpool. I'm preparing a special lecture for you all, and I can't wait to share it. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platforms you're celebrating all of the winners of the Penguin Magic Awards on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you'll have to call me in the middle of rehearsing for my lecture for Blackpool. I have some wild stuff to talk to you about. If interrupting lecture prep isn't your thing, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. Perform.